0: yes it's another stellar episode possibly i don't know if it's stellar yet it could be sucky and that would be on our on our uh well you, wing. you are talking so thank you you're welcome oh, that's cruel <laughs> another stellar episode of the culture guitarist <laughs> launching here <laughs> we have an awesome guest my name is all over the place al and i have with me as ever faithfully handsome keep it moving casper and our guest this week, author, guitar enthusiast extraordinaire, come on over, Craig. How are you, sir? I didn't know if I should say your last name on air, but
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, no secret there. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, no, I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me on.
0: <laughs> well, Craig E. Jones is his full name. He's the author of. Uh, oh crap! Is the full what's in the full name of your book? It's Odyssey.
1: It's called Attila Below and the Quest for the Perfect Guitar. Okay. Yeah.
0: Which, um, if, if any of you listeners remember, way back in episode 19, I think, um, when we do, we have a segment called Unsung Heroes. We don't do it um, regularly, but it comes up every once in a while where we touch on an uh, uh, item or brand or something like that that we just think doesn't get enough credit. Um, and is super super awesome, and so we touched on Odyssey guitars back in episode nineteen in our Unsung Heroes segment and talked a bunch about that. So I am super stoked to have you on the show, Craig, because uh, I'm a huge huge fan of Odyssey guitars. I'm not the expert you are, though. Holy crap!
1: <laughs> well, I'm stoked to be here. Uh, just uh, the book just uh, arrived in my mailbox this week, so um, you're you're my first press.
0: Oh wow! Huh. <laughs> Sweet. We're on the cutting edge.
1: That's awesome. We're Absolutely. N-
0: we're never the fresh news. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we're often recorded like a week or two in advance. So like the idea of being cutting edge guitar news, just we're, we're, we didn't I don't even, even know try. that we ever really try. Yeah. No, we didn't try. No. <laughs> We've had
2: a couple of like
0: moments where we were lucky enough to uh, be
2: first out the gate with something. But well, when we had satellite on, that was pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: We got the backstory on uh, his lawsuit with Gibson guitars. And yeah. Uh, which came to a sad conclusion I, uh, recently. That he, is
2: the this week in in our in our yeah. in our guitar life. You know,
0: he, he decided he the headache wasn't worth the uh, the effort of obtaining victory, and he yeah. um, willingly surrendered his patent on the Coronet guitar name. Heartbreaking which, uh, or trademark, sorry. Yeah. Um, which is heartbreaking because he po- he repopularized that that guitar design. He mm-hmm. he brought it back to the mainstream. Um, did all of Gibson's groundwork
2: for them essentially yep. and le- legitimately owned the trademark. You know, it's it's just yeah, it's weird. It's
0: weird how that works. Yeah.
2: Anyhow, um, I guess we'll just kick Let's right just into kick this it, yeah. this week. What's, uh what's going on in your guitar week, Al? You never get to go first.
0: I oh, that's the home man. Okay.
2: Um, well, uh, so a while back, Trevor Cronbar
0: gifted me his personal guitar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, and I'm super stoked about that. It's a beautiful, beautiful instrument. And it's cool to have an early part of the Cronbar guitar's legacy. Um, but it needed a couple of screws, or not screws, uh, nuts for its trapeze bridge to function. And I, uh, <laughs> after exhausting uh, amounts of searching, could not find them. And so you help me, because uh, mm-hmm. I don't use uh, Amazon unless I absolutely have to. Um, I'd rather s- try and support other smaller businesses. Um, so you helped me order an Amazon Trapeze Bridge for that. Thank mm-hmm. you. You're welcome. Very much. So... Uh, Should be arriving very, very soon. Yeah. It's this week, hey? Yep. So, yeah, th- I'm excited. I, I'll finally be able to play this amazing guitar. And then I was uh, also having a chat with Dan Presencer for more guitars. Cool. About some pickups. Uh, that are heading my way, which uh, I'm really stoked about. Um,
2: What's the news on that front?
0: Uh, he's got some ideas. He's, okay. you, you know how Dan
2: works. Yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's gonna. <laughs> so I thought maybe he'd already like no. put something in the mail. I was like, ooh, ooh. no, 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 no.
0: Um, but as of you listening to this, listeners, he is running a pickup giveaway that you can yes. enter. So head to uh... I have entered it. Good, excellent. So head to more Guitars on Instagram at moreguitars, Guitars spelled M O A R. Uh, and check that out. Cause he doesn't do pickups uh, outside of his own custom builds. Uh, Which he does hand often. wind his own pickups he, for yeah. every guitar. So getting a set of pickups from him is actually kind of a rare event. Um, maybe a half a dozen to a dozen people a year do that mm-hmm. or get that lucky privilege. Uh, and they're he makes no secret of it. They're, they're expensive. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, uh, getting a free set of pickups from him is uh, pretty rad. Um,
2: well, on my way in, I got to share this because... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, you have the weirdest form of, like, luck. As I know. luck, It's like... It's, oh. it's like, I'm 50-50 lucky.
0: It's like mm. 50-50 bad luck, 50-50 good luck. But when it goes bad. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's real bad. So bad.
2: So. I have, I've never experienced what you've experienced now. <laughs> ever. I know.
0: Life. You know what I love most about telling you these moments mm. is you still have that hint of like, I don't believe a word you're saying
2: <laughs> when I yeah. first tell you. But then you're like, no,
0: every time he said to something, a thing like this has been truthful.
2: Yep. Um, and somewhere down the line, somebody can corroborate it. Yeah. So <laughs> tell your story. All right. <laughs>
0: I leave my house to drive into town
2: because I live uh, quite a ways out of town
0: right to come to the studio or not studio your dining room
2: this is the dining room
0: uh, to do this podcast and uh, I get to the bottom of my road and there Which are, is really where civilization
2: begins yeah civil- yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I live I' way up a mountain in the bush uh, the road is most people are scared driving the road up to my place um, and there's a dozens dozens and dozens of cops at the bottom of the mountain road and on the the secondary highway that it connects to. And they are in full assault tactical gear with assault rifles, like lights on all the vehicles. They're looking for something. There's a helicopter overhead. And uh, this is very unusual uh, for anybody, I would think. (laughs) And uh, so me, being a genius, I hit the brakes a little too hard and accidentally honked my horn twice. (laughs) Uh, and the kind officers who were on high alert and <laughs> full tactical gear, <laughs> <laughs> kindly <laughs> immediately turned my direction. One of them has his rifle raised, and two of them start trotting over towards me. And I'm just like, ah, oh, oh, how do I explain what I've just done without sounding like the most having something to hide person? Mm. Um, so the cops come over. The guy with the assault rifle aimed at me. He only had oh, the on officers. Me. The officers. Sorry. Uh, the the <laughs> officer who had his gun aimed at me. <laughs> Only had it on me for like two or three seconds, uh, tops. I've just never p- had a weapon pointed at me. I've never yeah. had a gun pointed at well, me. Well, uh, this is my third time I, by the police I, a, uh, it's a, it's and a, all for doing nothing but being uh, <laughs> kind of a goofy moron. Mm. But uh, the other two stories will have to wait for another time.
2: I think you told one of them before. Uh, I might have, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, then I had to explain to the nice officers that I was just surprised to see them and like a scared rodent <laughs> uh, overreacted. And uh, slid myself into my own horn <laughs> uh, with my belly.
2: I just, I just.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, I know the force that was exerted upon you at the time. Because, I mean, I would have been, like, laying over the dash at that point <laughs> had I been in the vehicle. Well, like, because the road is steep. Yeah. I and know, I'm I, a big I, guy, so I'm kind of crowded in the vehicle anyway. I know exactly what happened. Yeah, and goodness. I literally, I probably would have been kissing the windshield and <laughs> you went. <laughs> well, on the no, horn.
0: I, was, I was going about
2: 40. So it wasn't. It wasn't bananas, but I wasn't
0: bracing myself. Mm. If I don't know, it was a stupid, completely avoidable situation for an intelligent person, uh, which I chose not to be. So <laughs> they, I don't cops, know that you,
2: that you have that choice. To I, be honest. <laughs> I <ain't no> <laughs> The cops,
0: to their credit, handled it really well. They laughed at me, <laughs> and then one asked me what I was doing. While well, the other one did a cursory, like, open the door and search the back of the vehicle because they're searching for someone mm. or something. And when I said, oh, I'm going into town to record a podcast, officer, the light in his eyes that represented respect just dimmed. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, okay, you nerd, just get out of here. <laughs> and uh, they sent me on my way. So that's uh, that's my start to this uh, adventure. You know, um, Craig, what have you been up to this week, man? Then we'll do Casper.
1: Well, I got to say, I haven't had any... Uh... Red laser dots on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> as a, a bit of an achievement, I think. Uh, you know, when I phoned my wife to tell you, her,
0: she was just like, of course.
1: <laughs> I, I'm just trying to figure out the physics of it all. You know, seatbelts save lives, my friend. You, you oh, could have kept straight back in your seat
0: there. There's the problem. I, I left that part of the story out. The reason yeah. I overreacted, most of the reason I overreacted <laughs> was because, like an idiot, I didn't have my seatbelt on. <laughs>
2: So that's on me, Uh, and I I usually do. So luckily for you, officers in full tactical gear usually aren't there to write citations. No. So you got off lucky. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: Anyway, sorry, Craig. We're
1: we're glad you you made it. (laughs) Thank you.
2: I was yeah, going to make, make a, a joke there, you yeah. know, speak for yourself, but,
1: yeah. know. Wow. <laughs> I a, <laughs> That's
0: rude. Let's, anyway, let's hear about Craig. Yeah, yeah, yeah please. Your rudeness. Please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you want to hear about my week? Uh, well, you know, uh, well, I teach uh, full-time, so, um, so this has been my first week since classes are over. So um, I've been catching up on some guitar playing, as a matter of fact. Um, Excellent. But, uh, yeah, not much... Uh, no, much apart from that, reading the book, reading it again, still looking for typos. Haven't found any yet, but I'm sure I will.
0: You know, I—it's I, not a book that's been published unless there's one. I don't think I've ever read a yeah, book that you eventually much. don't find just like
2: one. I when I'm reading and I find them, I actually like skim over them because when I'm reading quickly and I'm into the story or whatever, I don't really catch it. But then it's like, wait, that didn't make any sense. Hold on a second, I got to read it again. And it's like, no, that. It's not what I'm, like, I'm yeah. reading it in my mind, but it's actually not what's written on the page. Right. So I got to, like, that's the hardest thing is, like, wait, does that say what it looks like it says or what I think it says?
1: Well, I'm hoping that, you know, aspiring writers reading the book will say, hey, if even this guy, who's awesome, can I have a typo? <laughs> yeah. Then I really should, you know, put myself out there. So I'm. I think the next generation, I think, is going to benefit from every mistake I make.
2: That is a fantastic a out, Yeah, <laughs> I think I just stunned oh you guys. A good <laughs> we're, we're
0: podcasters. We're not
2: used to self esteem. Yeah. <laughs> Al, Al likens us most to our uh, great ape ancestors.
0: <laughs> Casper, he, he has a healthy respect for himself. Back away slowly.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why the cops let you go, you know, because they thought, <laughs> who, who who was not a podcaster would lie about that, right? <laughs> like, who's going to so make bad. that up as a destination?
2: Uh, yeah, uh, This guy has They're no like, pride. He's got nothing oh, yeah. to live for. Let's not make that, it worse. Yeah, look at him. That, that checks out. <laughs> that's funny.
3: Ouch.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> uh. Well, Casper, what have you been up to, dude? Man, okay. So aside from all the non-musical mess that uh, has happened this past week, um, being the uh, hot water tank, uh, for better lack of a better word, exploding in my basement and flooding the studio and the reason we're in the dining room right now, <laughs> yeah. um, I have had a busy, busy week. Um, today even, I went to Kelowna and bought this.
3: Oh, look so at I guess,
2: yeah, I got a Outlaw FX Boilermaker Boost. Guy was selling one on the marketplace for pennies, and I was like, well, I'll get that. Yeah, these I mean, these aren't super,
0: what are like 80 bucks
2: new or something? They're not priced out, yeah, 60, 70. They're not expensive. I, I paid 30. It's got a little heft to it. Yeah, I even I've already opened it up, and most of the heft, I believe, is the box. Yep. the actual the <laughs> actual tracks. case for the pedal is the heavy part. Cool, um, super cool. Three band like EQ a, and a gain knob. It's is like uh, a clean boost or is it kind of a dirt pedal? I haven't even plugged it in uh, or oh, wow. read up anything about it. Um, I just saw because I know I've been I got the Iron Horse recently from yes. Outlaw, and that's been a pretty fantastic addition to my board. I was like, you know what? For thirty dollars, I'm going to take a swing at this, and uh, I'll see what it does when I get sure. it. Sure, yeah, why not? So yeah, so why not? Um, and also, our new boom arms. Yeah, liking these. Yep. Yeah. Again, another you know, one of those things. It was I'm like, gonna move
0: uh, the mic. lower the mic's going further away. You can't I, hear me less, and the mic's coming closer. And wow!
2: And there's no noise no other than other than y- you're talking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the um, um, I have
2: to keep talking. It I turns know out that's all a
0: podcast. I is. Know. It's,
2: uh, either way, <laughs> so um, another deal I just could not pass up. And the guy was actually only selling one, uh, another marketplace find, and I was like, Ah, oh, you wouldn't happen to have two? That's the only thing I said to him. You would not happen to have two of these, would you? <laughs> and he's like, "I actually, actually, I do." So we made a, we struck a deal, and now we have All the right. proper road PSA one boom arms for our podcasting. It would be that when we finally get that one piece of the studio, we were both like, "We're just missing that that one thing," and now we can't use the studio. can use the studio, yeah. <laughs> 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 yep. So um, that's been today and yesterday, um, but this past week, I I found a website. Uh, out of Germany, called dasmusikding.de, and they make uh, pedal kits. Okay. So, like, build your own kind of DIY things. They come with all the stuff included to to build your own pedals. So, I ordered a couple of kits. I'm going to give Ooh. them a wick, give them a swing. All right. Yeah. And they're that's, super cheap. That's awesome. Yeah, so I got an Optic Tremolo and a range master. Cool, and, you, and we have a couple of kits on the way from uh, right rare buzz effects. I forgot as well. about those actually. Yeah. That's cool. So that's that's I've been remarkably busy for also doing disaster cleanup in the meantime.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, let's fire into it. Mm-hmm. Craig, author of Odyssey, Attila Below, and the uh, Quest for the Perfect Guitar. So stoked to have you (laughs) Man, I, I, uh, so I, I, the only Odyssey I've ever personally owned, which I, I, to my shame, no longer own, uh, was an Attila um, Lindsay Mitchell model. Right. um, Which I loved. And it took me forever uh, to figure out what model it was because there was just so little information, easy to find out there uh, about these things yeah and it took me forever to even figure out like well why doesn't mine have the odyssey coin in the headstock and i've got these twin a's and yeah so your book my friend is a revelation for anybody who's (laughs) a fan of odyssey or just a fan of like uh guitar history this is uh this is a really cool important book um i think um, not only for like Canadian guitar history, but for just guitar history, period. You know, mm-hmm. Larry DiMarzio, one of the biggest names in guitar, was a huge fan of Odyssey. Yep. Um, yeah. So you've you've just, oh my gosh, the amount of work you've done in this book is just obscene. Almost, it's crazy.
1: <laughs> well, thanks, thanks. It was, a, I mean, a labor of love. I, I hope, fairly obviously, it's. Uh, I, I started out the same way that that you did. You know, I came across one of these guitars. I knew what they were. I knew they were made in Vancouver in the '70s, but that's about it. And uh, I went online. I actually found your earlier podcast, and uh, and apart from that, and a couple of, you know. Um, uh, like little bits of information on forums and stuff, which you probably came across as well. There's just nothing. And so I thought, um, you know, I thought, well, I'll just do a little, because I'm a inveterate buyer and seller and trader of guitars. You know, I, I'd call myself a collector, only that's a bit too, pretentious. I believe the what term
0: is addiction, sir. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's, it's a, it's, it's a it's gas, a, yeah. a gasser. Yeah. <laughs> you are a gasser. Uh, so, uh, so, so I thought what I'd do is I'd just like do a bit of research and then write a semi-authoritative little collector's guide that maybe publish on Reverb or something like that. Right. And so uh, that's the way it started. And then um, the, the, the few people that I contacted about it, uh, started sending me catalogs and brochures, and 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 then they put me in touch with uh, the the builders, uh, some of the builders of the guitars, and then I got in touch with the partners of the company, Joe Salle and Ken Lindemir, uh, who were partners with uh, the late great. Attila Below, who was the uh, you know, as you know, the sort of genius designer behind them.
0: Yeah, you know, up and, until uh, up until I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. I'm, yeah, no. By no. the way, you were the ki- you were the most respectful guest we've ever had. You're the only person we've ever had on the show that doesn't interrupt us back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just giving you free hey, reign, hey, man. It's, it's it's a it's a free for all a little bit. So go nuts. <laughs> um, but the only information prior to your book that I, that was really extensive that I was able to find was actually from Ken on an old Harmony Central forum post. Yeah, right. And he kind of wrote yeah. out the story in an abbreviated version. Um,
1: yeah, no, I, I read that and that was about a page and a bit. And so for the first time, uh, we learned the model numbers and the construction and that kind of stuff. But you know, Ken was living in um, South America for, uh, uh, since his since his retirement. And, um, uh, I, I mean, can't call him a, a bit of a hermit, uh, but, uh, he certainly wasn't still active in that, um, uh, in that, uh, sort of milieu. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was really refreshing to get in touch with him. And then, um, Joe Sally, who was the, you know, money man of the operation, uh, and then find out more and more details and ended up, you know, ended up getting the coroner's report on, um, on, uh, Attila's tragic death in the late 80s and um talked to people like jean larivet and, and robert godin and uh you know people like that that uh that knew him and uh and it's just all just after a while i realized this is not any longer a little article <laughs> so yeah. I, I thought i'd have to put it in a book and uh, that's that's the way it ended up
0: well it's it's awesome um thank you for sending us uh uh, a copy to kind of uh, check out. Well, uh, I, I say a copy. You sent us the, uh, you were gutsy enough to send us um, one of the final drafts with spelling mistakes still included and stuff, <laughs> <Yeah>. which I, <laughs> I kind of loved that everyone, every once in a while I'd flip to a, a new page and there'd be like a, a little. blue line. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I, I,
2: I oh, didn't yeah, actually yeah. catch that at yeah. first going, I don't know what that's supposed to be. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I just oh. kind of carried on. <laughs> then you said something about edit editing notes. I'm like, oh. Oh yeah, books get edited. Weird, huh? I mean, nothing I've ever written needed to be edited, nor (laughs) recorded as the podcast. Well,
0: I was lucky here,
1: Alexander Varty, who you might know, Alex Varty from. uh, He was the uh, Georgia Straits music writer for decades. Um, he volunteered when he heard about the project, he got in touch with me and volunteered to do the copy editing oh, wow. on the book. Oh, so that awesome. was super generous of him, but everyone's totally pitched in. Attila's family has been amazing. Um, uh, and as I say, the partners and the builders and the, the customers, you know, the guys from Prism that endorsed Lindsay Mitchell, you just mentioned him. Um, he contributed and uh, Al Harlow, you know, sent me pictures of, uh, of the base who's, name i won't repeat on
3: uh, (laughs) that that'd be the pinky (laughs)
1: that's right the pink face yes
0: (laughs) yeah i i really loved uh i i was not able to read the entire book because we had three two or three days with it um i got through all of the history portion uh but i wasn't able to really deep dive into the models portion and uh, i kind of chose to do that on purpose because i thought you'd you know it'd be easier for you to enlighten me on air about that than you know Tell the entire history of this man and his legacy. <laughs> the yeah,
1: well, that's. The, I mean, the dramatic story is the first half of the book, which is you know it takes you from Attila's birth through his immigration and, and and tells the story of these really young guys that built this factory. I mean, Attila was twenty eight when the first Odyssey mm-hmm. rolled off the line, and uh, you know most of the builders, many of them were just out of their teens. Um, so so that's a really interesting story in itself. Yeah. And then the second part of the book just goes through the actual design, construction, you know, and it talks about stuff like why do you have a 24 and three quarter inch scale on a guitar? Why do you have a certain pitch to the headstock? What You know, wh- what's up with neck through body versus bolt on versus set neck? And, and all of those things just fascinated me, why he did these things and tracing the history of the brass bridge, uh, which which I had thought was unique, but actually goes back through a returned war vet in San Francisco whose bridges were used by Alembic around, around 1970. And that's where Attila got this idea, and he improved it uh, for his own. But just stuff like that, I mean, I, I guess I'm a bit of an obsessive geek, but I, I just love doing that research and and putting it all together. Oh,
0: you know, that's, it's awesome that you are. Cause honestly, if you hadn't done it, who was gonna,
1: it, well, that was my feeling and it had to be done before everyone started dying. You know? Yeah. The, uh,
0: yeah. i everybody uh, in the family and, and, and Ken and Joe are getting old. Right. So it's,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, his, his sister who pretty much raised him is now in her eighties and, uh, she gave a wonderful interview, but, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, he died in eighty nine, and he was forty one. Um, uh, so that gives you an idea of sort of the age of the contemporaries thirty years later.
0: Yeah, oh, it's crazy. You know, I, I'm, what a what a tragic, what a tragic end—a life cut short, man. Um, yeah. So let's talk about let's you know because uh, there's enough history on Attila that it needs a book, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I want to divert for a sec. Let's talk about you. Like, how long have you been playing? And, um, how, you know, let's, let's get into some finer details about Craig.
1: Uh, well, I've been playing since my teens. I'm in my 50s now. Uh, and I stopped playing. You know, I played sort of semi-seriously for a few years and worked in the periphery of the music biz in Vancouver right after the Attila era, if I can put it that way. So in the 90s, basically. And then I, you know, got smart, went to law school uh, and didn't play for about 20 years and had a wonderful career in law. Loved it. Uh, But, uh, but missed the guitaring. And so um, I
0: just want to interrupt. So, yeah, yeah. because uh, I just want our, our listeners to know. He called all of us stupid
2: Yeah, for still playing guitar. (laughs) I'm going, is that what I did wrong? Hey, wait a second. Uh, You know,
1: I mean, look, uh, look, I looked around like many of us did uh, in, you know, as our, as our, I, 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 I was doing okay, making, making money in the music business and the business side of it. But I realized, you know, by the time I was in my late 20s, I did not want to be the 40 year old guy with the ponytail trying to be hip with the kids uh, that <laughs> something had to give that way. And no, I mean, definitely never regretted it. Cause I think, believe it or not, law is just as fun and creative as, as music is in, in, in many of the same ways. Uh, but um, the, uh, 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 you know, when I was then in my 30s and, and looking at my friends who were still coming home to an empty refrigerator and uh, sometimes trying to, uh, you know, support families on uh, musicians' income, it was, it was um, you know, pretty bracing. So, so then uh, when I sort of semi retired from litigation and took up a teaching job um, out here at the university, at the law school, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to pick it up again. And so I did and uh, eventually joined this great band where we gig all the time, uh, uh, way more than I ever did in my 20s, actually.
0: What's the band? Uh, Give it a shout out.
1: uh, Yeah, it's called Shattered Blue. Uh, We do covers only, uh, sort of from the 60s to the 90s. It was beyond, I guess we do, you know, modern covers as well. Just whatever the heck grabs our attention and uh, we play the local clubs and local events and music in the park and all that. And so, you know, no, no ambition. We're all uh, past that phase, but uh, we love to play. And, uh, and uh, from a personal standpoint, you know, I'm finding like a lot of my peers when I look around the, the, my fellow guitar geeks, right. That is so satisfying. Uh, you know, to sit in a room full of Bogner and Marshall and Paul Reed Smith and you know, all this stuff that, that we would have killed for when we were 25, right? <laughs> and now, uh, uh, you know, now we have it all to no avail.
0: <laughs> so I kind of went the opposite route. I was making real good money in my 20s, and I, I bought all the boutique fancy guitar stuff I ever dreamt of. And then uh, I went full-time on the road in my early 30s and uh, sold it all.
1: <laughs>
0: I have very little gear at the moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, everyone's everyone's path is different, my friend.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So when did the obsession with collecting Odyssey guitars uh, hit you? And, and how many do you have, by the way? I'm super curious
1: about that. You know, Odyssey. I, I can I can send you an embarrassing picture of me as a skinny, probably 22-year-old with a Black Odyssey G100, one of the what turns out to be one of the very few ever made. And I didn't know it at the time. I bought it for like 225 bucks in a pawn shop. I think I sold it for 250 and thought I did awesome. Um, you know, uh, so so I've always been aware of the company. I had one of their guitars. I liked it just fine, but you know what it is with guitar trading you never seem to keep them for long. And then um, it was just about, well, within the last year that this other one came up and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I started researching. And then as soon as I did, I realized I was going to have to get a few of the guitars and, and take them apart and, and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, so I've got four, um, uh, uh a, a kind of a representation of the range. I've got one of the, just four, just four. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's I mean, look, a
0: very reasonable amount. That's, that's,
1: well, I'm I'm just four Odysseys. I mean, I got thirty something guitars. Okay, okay, <laughs> there, there it is. There it is. Looking around uh, for the Odysseys, I think uh, there's not as many in the market it seems as there as there used to be, and uh, I'm probably partially responsible for the recent drying up because I think people are thinking, hey, maybe they're going to be super collectible once the uh, you know, once the book's out there and people realize what they have, uh, but I got one of the super cheap uh, bolt-ons that they made in the very dying days of the company. That was um, it looks a bit like a Les Paul Junior. Is that the couple the, of humbuckers?
0: Not the. Is it the Dean? Um,
1: I forget the name of the model.
0: Dean, good brain model. Good, oh good no 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 <laughs> no,
1: not not the Paul Dean. Paul Dean, thank you. Uh, no, nice. I'd love to have one of those. That was kind of a Strat style. This is this is more of a single cutaway Les Paul Junior slab, and and they they turned them out. They they had a deal with um, West Coast, was it West Coast great West music, and they so they built a thousand of these super cheap bolt-ons, uh, so that's and they sold them for three hundred and something bucks in the 9091. Uh so that's the sort of bottom of the range and then I've got uh, actually a Lindsay uh, Mitchell um uh, a well worn well played uh, green burst was yours green?
0: Mine was green. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they only made them in two colors. One was the green burst and one was natural. Um but most of them are the are the green ones. Uh so I've got one of those the Lindsay Mitchell and that's stock too. Um they're all stock, actually. the uh, the The third one is a a G one hundred, like my black one, but not black. It's uh, the, you know the mahogany wings. Um, uh, sorry, G three hundred. So that was the bottom of the of the high end, if I can put it that way. And then I've got one of the one of the high end um, that looks like a even more ornate Paul Reed Smith, the G, uh, the G one hundred, which is the same model as, as what's on the cover of the of the book the the, the cover of the book by the way and I'll, I'll send you a picture of it and your your readers can look at it if they want or or just go straight to amazon and buy it um it's uh, uh the guitar on the cover it belongs to um robert florian who was attila's nephew and uh and he's um uh, he's a great artist in his own right and he um actually designed the cover. So the photography, all of the graphics, everything on it is, um, is all Attila's nephew, Robert Florian. So, um, right on. Well, yeah, so sorry, I got a bit sidetracked, but no, the guitar no, on good. the cover of the book, Robert Florian's guitar is the same model as the, as the G100 that, uh, that I have. And they're just, unbelievably beautiful guitars it's it's i think the nicest sunburst that's ever been put on a guitar he did you know gibson or 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 fender they'll do two maybe three layers of burst you know uh uh uh, different colors in the fade um he did 12 and if if you look at this it's absolutely seamless it looks like you know attila was obsessed with um the Florentine violin makers of the of the Renaissance, and that's you, you can't look at this guitar without thinking of that sort of level of of craftsmanship. There was no one, I think, before or since, who could finish a guitar like like below. And he apprenticed uh, with um, Leif uh, Jacobson in uh, Ontario, who was a high-end Scandinavian maker of wood furniture and the guy just knew everything about what he would study it obsessively um, and study the old violin makers and, and just poured all this into it. So, I mean, if there's one thing that stands out in the high end of Odyssey, it's the finishes. They're just like, like I say, like nothing before or since.
0: Yeah. You know, once that's, I got to say, one of the things I love about Odyssey is once you know, can spot
1: them from just miles away it's true um yeah but yeah, I, you can I'm, think they're a paul reed smith at a fair distance but I've, uh, <laughs> I've met
0: people who think they're paul reed smiths i've also there was a guy in my hometown that had one of the bases hanging over his bar alongside a bunch of other instruments that were all total crap other than this odyssey um but he had huh. he had a. Um, a made-up story about every single one of them and why they were so awesome and needed to be hung up there. He thought the base, the Odyssey base, was a Rickenbacker Uh, and uh, (laughs) claimed it had been uh, one of Tom Petty's touring bases. (laughs) uh, Well,
1: I'll tell you a story that uh, Ray Verrill, who who was the Iron Music manager back in the day, he told me. He said a few years back he was in Vernon uh, because he travels a lot in his work. Um, And he went into a pawn shop and he found odyssey base serial number 001 hanging in a pawn shop in Vernon, and he didn't buy it. He said that's his kick-me moment. But if someone local bought it, then you can be assured that someone in your neck of the woods uh, is uh, is under their bed somewhere has the very first Odyssey ever made.
0: Well, that's... Both awesome and a little bit heartbreaking.
2: <laughs> totally. I'm, I'm sure yeah. I can think of the pawn shop that it was in. I know exactly
1: what, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh.
0: That's the thing. There's one pawn shop here in particular that, like, it's the place that ends up with all the guitars and stuff. Yeah.
1: Anything um, decent. Yeah, I expect yeah. that's the one that's right at, uh, what, Bernard and uh, the highway there? Uh,
0: n- uh, no, it's uh, it? maybe it's moved, but uh, it's a place called Raven Traders here yeah. in
1: Vernon and... Yeah, okay. Um, they I seemed, think it's the uh, one.
2: they're on 30th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of yeah, so is 30th the high. Bernard? Uh, no, no. Know. Bernard's Kelowna. Yeah, Bernard's in
1: Kelowna. Ah. So. Okay. Well, 30th used to have a name, but anyway. It
0: probably still does, but yep. uh, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. And <laughs> my hometown uh, has a street called 100th Avenue, and it definitely has a name that no one in town calls it. <laughs> don't know why. But that's a very Albertan thing to do as well. It's like artsy-fartsy name. Uh, call it by its number. Yeah. Um, well, I'll agree with you on the burst. Uh, like, I'm everybody who's listens to the podcast knows that uh, Al's not a huge fan of uh, Heritage Cherry Sunburst from Gibson. In fact, <laughs> yeah. uh, if I'm being honest... There's not a lot of Gibson guitars I would keep in spite of that finish. Mm. <laughs> Most of them I'd be like, nope, it's got to move on, and I'll hunt for one that doesn't have that awful finish, because I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But yeah. Attila has used that same color shading gradient and done many a finish on uh, on his guitars that uh, I actually think is really gorgeous. And I
1: would yeah, he had two main finishes, uh, burst finishes. One he called wine shaded and the other was called tobacco shaded. So mm-hmm. one was red and one was brown. I prefer the brown. I'm just not a red guitar guy, but the one I have is red because it's a beautiful guitar. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, uh, I'm not a usually a, a fan of cherry-ish bursts. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, uh, typically. But you know, that being said, we just talked about the Lindsey Mitchell and how it was green. Usually, yeah. green or blue guitars I think look like the cheapest, junkiest things when, yeah. when they're stained. It's just mm. like, yep, yeah, that's uh, some off brand Epiphone clone.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, and- that was the weirdest uh thing. I mean, to uh, an attractive green burst guitar is, I mean, you just wouldn't even. You think about I know. It normally, right? <laughs> but it was. And Attila it- came up with that finish specially for uh, for Lindsey Mitchell, and uh, most of the customs he made for Mitchell were were that color. And then um, and then people started requesting it as a custom option on on some of his some of his other guitars. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's an odd, but it's a it's a great way of being able to distinguish the Lindsey Mitchell from from others. That's one of the one of the two distinctions about it. And they're they're fine guitars, the Lindsey Mitchells. Uh, yeah, I really I really love mine.
0: When I found mine, it was a husk. Um, I like a lot of guitars that people um, maybe didn't know what they were. Um, somebody had long since removed the original Demarzios. The brass nut was gone. Um, all the electronics were gutted. It had the original knobs and the original uh, badass bridge, which uh, thank goodness. Um, and you know, the truss rod cover and machine heads were all in, in, uh, in there, but, um, that was it. And somebody had done a horrible refret job on it and, uh, stuffed mega jumbo frets into these slots that weren't cut for uh, that size of fret. And so the neck had a, a permanent back bow to it. That uh, was <laughs> no. awful. So the first thing I did, uh, somebody, my uh, friend of mine just had this guitar sitting in his, you know, how we, uh, any guitarist that loves to do mods inevitably, <laughs> acquires uh, a room very often or just a corner piled with parts and junk right. <laughs> and, and yeah. projects that they'll probably only get to like 20% of if that.
1: That's right. Um, and then we die and our spouses don't know what to do with it yeah. so we shovel it all into a garbage can. So <laughs> this friend of mine had
0: this, this uh, Lindsay Mitchell in that pile in his house. Huh. And uh, this was my first exposure to Odyssey. I was like, what the heck is that thing? It looks rad as heck. And he goes, oh, it's an Odyssey guitar. They were made in Vancouver in the 70s. Uh, it used to be pretty cool. Uh, it needs a refret. I, I don't know when I'll get to it. You want it? And I was, yeah. <laughs> so I, I took this thing, and, it, and then it sat around my uh, junk pile for two or three years until uh, I got curious and did a little research on them and, and was able to find out enough of like, Oh, these were high-end. These were not, like... I mean, it looked high-end, but sometimes things look high-end and aren't. Um, and then it was like, oh, this was like a handcrafted custom. Like, this is a cool guitar. I should I should re, 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 rebuild it to its glory. So, uh, got the refret done. And um, at the time, I wasn't really into DiMarzio. I was kind of going through... Uh, I know. Well, You know, you go through phases of pickups, and since the little originals were long gone, I was like, oh, I'll just get a cool pair of uh, gold-covered pickups I like. And so mine had gold-covered, uh, I think they were 57 <laughs> Classics from Gibson or something.
1: Um, yeah, well, you know, I've never been a huge fan of DiMarzio pickups until I started playing these guitars, too. And they've got almost all the Odyssey guitars, the six-strings used um, a version of the... Um, uh, of the super distortion, and either the, you know, the regular two-conductor humbucker, or in the higher end, the four-conductor, to let you do the switching.
0: Yeah, um, I will say I love that. Odysseys are very, like, in vogue for the late 70s with that little forest of controls down at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. No, they're (laughs)
1: definitely sort of, you can see BC Rich and Lotto and a few of the (laughs) the contemporaries that that it was almost like more switches, the better for some folks.
0: You know what everybody wants. (laughs) So you know what? A porcupine
2: of little mini (laughs) switches. You know what? There's something about, and it's almost like the, the desired aesthetic of the time was to have nothing lined up. It was like the 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 knobs are in one arrangement and the switches in right. another, and they really don't fit together, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know, for my OCD yeah. mind, it's like no, right, That's man. not lined up, man. When like, I, so, <laughs> so when
0: I was rebuilding my my Lindsay Mitchell, um, I bypassed the uh, yeah the tap. I know, for, I bypassed the coil tap switches and the phase switches, and I just turned. You know, I I just did it Gibson style volume tone, volume tone, and a three way because I was just I, I just didn't want to bother hooking up all that wiring in that tight little spot. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I got no, big I fingers, so
0: I couldn't reach the mini switches between the pots anyway.
1: Right. Yeah. And that was the odd thing about the Lindsey Mitchell, apart from the green finish, they had their little forest of mini switches right in the middle of the four knobs. And that was uh weirdest thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea what, what, that choice. Lindsay Mitchell didn't have that on his own guitar. So I, I, it can't be his, it can't be his preference. Yeah, uh, So I, I have no idea what, uh, it seems what, like what prompted that
0: from reading your book and getting a, uh, hopefully a small sense of what Attila's personality was like. Um, you get the sense that he was a guy who had strong convictions about design and would not be swayed from them. So it seems like that was a move on his part to just be like, this is what I want on this. And it's just going to be the way.
1: Yeah, and that's yeah. I mean, you're right. And that was and that's a lot of the story of the first part of the book is sort of the the conflict between commercial reality and the purity of his of his um, Vision, ambitions. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and really, that was. You can't say it's the reason Odyssey collapsed, but it's probably the reason Odyssey was never able to put itself in a robust enough position to survive the recession that
0: the Yeah. Well, I that mean that recession along. that recession almost killed Gibson and Fender.
1: Yeah. You know, no, are... it gutted it gutted retail. I mean, there was probably dozens of retail guitar and music shops in BC alone that shut down in eighty one, eighty two. Uh, you know, if people just stopped buying. You know, everyone was concerned.
0: Yeah. Well, it was a weird period too. Like, the most fashionable thing in the guitar world at that time was to hack apart a part of Strat and uh, shove yeah. a humbucker in the bridge position and nothing else. Paint it weird yourself, and you know, Eddie Van Halen your way off to glory.
1: Yeah. Um, no, that was and that was the other. I mean, just the the fashion had changed yeah. so much between the mid seventies when 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 the got started. By the '80s, um, and and you know, it's the the tragedy is he was about ten years ahead of Paul Reed Smith, and if if I I think if he'd been able to hang on that long, when you know when super fine crafted, beautiful maple top finished guitars came back in vogue, uh, he would have been super well placed to exploit that. But
0: uh, yeah, yeah, potentially it, it wasn't eh? to be. And that would
1: have been really yeah. There's a lot of what see. ifs, unfortunately, in the story, you know.
0: Um, and you know, it's funny because like Paul Reed Smith came along and really gave. You know, I'm not personally, I'm not a, the hugest Paul Reed Smith guy. I like some of what they do. Uh, I mostly like what they did. Um, but I'll give them their their due. They like Paul Reed Smith really gave Fender and Gibson a run for their money, and really yeah. made them get their crap together. Um, so in a lot of ways, you can kind of credit uh, credit Paul with kind of reviving uh, quality in big brands. Because mm-hmm. um, the small boutique builders are always going to be tippy-top quality because that's what their game is. Yeah. Um, but the big brands, you know, they can slip. Mm-hmm. And people will still buy them because they have that brand that they've seen Jimmy Page rocking for decades.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, you know one of the things I talk about in the book is that's the opportunity they saw back in '76 that that Gibson was turning out such monumental crap. Sorry, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'd use my court voice, and I just blew it. <laughs> the uh, the uh, uh, and uh, you know Fender too. I mean, it's astonishing to me as a you know as a hack collector people look back on the Norlin and CBS eras as, 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 worthwhile just because they're old, you know, I know
0: the opinion really changed on them in the last 10 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and now it's because it's old, it's collectible, but there's a reason, man, there's a reason why, why Paul Reed Smith kicked butt. And there's a reason why Meza boogie kicked Marshall and, others to the to the curb it's because for a period of time they were all putting out real junk uh, with awful quality control and cutting corners all over the place and i think you know attila was an early harbinger of of the warnings there with with him and alembic and dc rich you know they were they were they were doing pretty well in the high end and um and uh you know it was probably only a matter of time before gibson uh, had to respond a few a few companies did respond martin put out uh, you know a, a line of electric guitars too little yeah. too late but uh, that were well. very similar uh, uh, lareve started electrics just as just as um, odyssey was was folding lareve's attitude though i mean and having spoken with him he was very gracious and gave a very long interview uh, they were very good friends, him and uh, him and Attila. Uh, but you know, his whole attitude is to build what sells. I mean, he's very interested in quality, and he's a luthier. You know, he's he's a true craftsman. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, Larivé will build instruments that sell. And for a period of time when when the economy got really bad, they were building ukuleles for a while, you know. And they built electrics when the building was good, and then they went back to acoustics when when the market changed. And Odyssey just could not do that. I mean, they had a shop with eight employees. They had, you know, five or six different models, and they could not pivot to accommodate super strats or, or...
0: so how much, you know? how much of that um, do you think, and I, and I have a guess as to where you might go with this, just having read the first half of the book, um, <laughs> which is all the <laughs> history of Attila section. Because um, uh, I want to just interject before I ask my question here. I think it's brilliant that you divided the book <laughs> in two halves like that. You've got the history of Attila and his life um, and the company, and then you've got the models and the history of those things. Um, I really like that you did it that way. Um, well,
1: thanks. Thanks for saying so.
0: Um, so how much, of, how much of the, uh, the collapse of Odyssey and the, and the failure to pivot do you think was, uh, an inability to adapt their workspace or an inability of Attila to change his mind on his vision?
1: Well, yeah. So, so what happened is 79, they were running this thing out of the basement of the, of the, iron music store on Granville Street, right downtown in Vancouver. And they could never get to the point where they were really profitable. They were always eking out an existence, but they weren't really profitable. And so as the 70s drew to a close and their reputation was growing, they decided to move to a big factory. And they found a place in uh, North Vancouver over the bridge uh, in an industrial park, you know, more of a more of a factory type setting they bought a bunch of new equipment they mortgaged their houses they did all this stuff and they set up the shop just as the recession hit and so uh everything was collapsing high-end guitars weren't selling anymore joe saleh who was the sales end um was always pressing attila to compromise we need look we just need to get through this we need cheaper guitars um uh, uh, you know, we need to uh, we need to do whatever. He even proposed uh, building. There was a, a profitable opportunity to build piano tuning tools um, in the factory. Just whatever to get through it. But Attila was resistant, and the other partners were caught in the middle. And eventually, sort of Attila won. Sale was forced to the side, and um, and Odyssey almost immediately collapsed they 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 did the first 50 run of paul dean guitars the lover boy guitars um and by the time uh, the 50th it's
0: it's crazy and very reflective of how good a character he is um that he finances himself i thought that was amazing
1: yeah, you know, I never got a chance to talk to to Paul Dean. I hope that I, I would before a, a revised edition comes out because he was a real friend of Odyssey and of Attila's and, you know, they were in trouble and he said... I will buy, you know, I will not, I'll not only lend my name to an odyssey guitar, which any other company in the world probably would have paid him a half a million bucks to do. Right. Not only lend my name to the odyssey guitars, but I'll actually pay for them to be built and I'll buy them off. you. And then, you know, so so the first 50 went out that way and he gave them away to, uh, you know, to friends, Neil Sean, apparently got one, Uh, uh, Billy Gibbons got one. Um, and uh, they ran some Loverboy charity, um, you know, competitions and they gave away the guitars there. But by the time the 50th one was delivered, North Fan was already winding down. And then Paul Dean went to Hondo at first and then Kramer. And uh, they, they, they built the guitars for him. But he comes across, I got to say, uh, from everyone I've talked to as, as just a, a saint of a guy, a really good guy.
0: True Canadian, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've 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 been curious since reading your book. Like, I wonder, um, you know, clearly it shows Attila was a conviction-filled guy. He had uh, he had his beliefs. Um, he didn't waver from them. Um, it's very commendable in a lot of ways, uh, most ways, if uh, if I'm being truthful. Um, It had to be a heartbreaking thing for him to see uh that not pan out and uh the the company go um how many odysseys do you think are out there like total production do do you have an idea after doing all this research
1: i i do and and i think we probably have the, the the best idea that anybody's ever had because Honestly, they fudged the numbers quite a bit when they were talking to the press or anything like that. They made themselves out to be a much bigger operation than they were, uh, and the serial numbers—the serial numbers were the source of a lot of confusion because um, they they on the on the on the numbered guitars, which was the main Odyssey line, the um, uh, the guitars from the like the late '70s were all numbered in the 2000s but it was very clear from the first couple of years 76 77 that um they weren't building that many guitars uh you know that uh i think uh like- a couple of dozen at most in seventy six, and then probably hundred and seventy seven, something like that. Uh, but what happened in seventy eight is they just added a thousand to the serial number sequence. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so you had guitars that were like uh, so. I don't have the list in front of me, but I've been compiling a sort of registry. Uh, they had the, the the guitars went from seventy eight dash four four two one to 78-1465, you know? <laughs> so so they just added 1,000 on, and that persisted through. So at the end of the day, I think, I mean, I, I've got a section right at the back of the book that talks about serial numbers and production numbers. I think I probably th- uh, concluded that there were somewhere north of a 1,000 core odysseys that is the serial numbered neck through body brass hardware um you know totally
0: is that including the Attilas?
1: stuff no and the attillas are, are are a bit of a mystery because none of the bolt on attillas have serial numbers the lindsey mitchells uh, have serial numbers uh but they're on the fretboard at the 24th fret And so usually with the first refret, they're gone. (laughs) So, uh, but what it looks like to me is that there were probably, we've got serial numbers registered uh, for about 200 Lindsay Mitchells. And and I'm going to suggest that all other Attila's were no more than 1,500. So altogether, you're dealing with, two to 3,000 guitars, I think, um, uh, optimistically. And, uh, and, and, you know, whenever you read and I, I, found all the old newspaper interviews and stuff with Joe Sally or with, with, uh, with, um, with Attila. And they were always saying, Oh, you know, we got 15 guys working in the factory and it's, uh, uh, you know, 500 guitars a month kind of thing. and, and <laughs> It, it it just wasn't it you know it just wasn't there's there's this great story that uh lindsey mitchell told me uh that w- when uh, he went to uh, odyssey and uh, uh had some customs made and then and then joe sally said you know why don't we make a lindsey mitchell model and we'll give you 10 bucks for every guitar and uh lindsey said um uh, happy to have a lindsey mitchell model but don't give me any money just make me customs from time to time Another nothing is these canadians right so uh yeah. <laughs> so uh that's what they, they did but then when lindsey came back
0: i love um, the complete difference in attitude from like a rock star <laughs> in the late 70s like i get random customs when i choose to yes perfect yeah, no, it's true so it's like true. now it would be like okay we got six months of intense contract negotiations and uh Five million well, up front, here's, please. Yeah. <laughs>
1: here's here's Joe Saleh's evil genius. And now Joe didn't confirm this himself because I don't know if he even remembers it. But uh Lindsay remembers that when he got back in touch with Joe, he said, Hey, how's the guitars doing? And Joe said You know what? You really should have taken that 10 bucks because we've sold 2,500 of them. (laughs) And Lindsay remembers this like it was yesterday because he thought I gave up $25,000, you know? But in fact, there's no question that there was no more than 300. 200 is probably about the best estimate, right? But, but what, what Sally was doing was genius, right? Because he knew that Lindsay would be reporting that to everyone who would listen for 40 years. <laughs> and he did, right? <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, what what better earned media or, or free marketing are you going to get than a rock star going around saying, oh, these Odyssey guys, they built 2,500 of my, you know, of my uh, signature guitars. So, so, you know, I don't fault them at all for being... Um, um, a little bit mischievous with the uh, with the production numbers, but as a as a historian, it makes it it makes it very difficult. <laughs>
0: it's certainly funny.
1: Yeah, I, is, yeah uh, I, well, there's a lot of funny stories. Financially yeah.
0: wise, it definitely seems like Lindsay came out on top with the uh, the amount of customs he got. It was <laughs> yeah. probably the smarter uh, path. I think
1: that. I think that's probably safe. Yeah, I don't know um, how many <laughs> of them he kept, but. Uh, uh, but uh, he's yeah he had probably half a dozen I'm going to say at least uh, him and uh, I think uh, probably Fred Turner from BTO were probably the repeat repeat customers but I've got a I got copies of the painting sheets for a, a five or six month period in uh, uh, the North Van factory with a little notation for every guitar that Tom Bunditch who was the lead finish guy. Uh, every guitar that he was doing, and you see on the list, uh, you know, every once in a while, this guitar is for Lover Boy, this guitar is for Trooper, this guitar is for PTO. <laughs> that yeah, cool. was kind of neat, that's very cool. <laughs> uh,
0: so do you have a favorite model, or are you just a, a genuinely just an appreciative fan of most of the, the range?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm not a fan of the badass bridge, um, and that comes out in the book because, first of all, it's a it's a not the best design, I think, for any guitar, but particularly on the Odysseys, they tended to drill the posts in the wrong place, <laughs> like slightly forward of where they should be.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, and had I, I talked to the builders about
1: this and they say, yeah, that was just a bit of a f- up. So what it means on the Badass is that because it's a wraparound bridge, you have to back it way off the posts in order to intonate it properly and then back the bridge saddles right the way to the back and yeah. when you do that it leans up yeah that was how mine was it
0: leaned way up yeah
1: exactly right so you got to you got to do a bit of surgery to get the um to get the bridges perfect on anything that was Attila all the atillas uh, had the badass bridges uh so i like the i like the higher end with the brass bridges i'm um, I'm, I'm just such a huge fan of the 100 which were the carved bird's-eye maple top with the beautiful burst finishes. Attila's favorite was the 500, uh, and there's a handful of those kicking around in the world uh, and probably no more. And the 500 was an absolutely unique design. What what he did is he took his neck through uh, design and he wanted to have a, sort of a floating spruce top over it, like thicker than an acoustic, but still resonant. But he knew that the, um, you know, the guitars that tried that, the jazz guitars and whatnot, the, because you got to hang pickups on that top uh, and, um, uh, and uh, tailpiece and, you know, all that sort of stuff, it just gets less and less resonant as you do that. So what he did is he, bu- he built the arch top to go over the neck through, and then he cut holes and he mounted the Bartolini pickups through those holes Onto the neck through, and he mounted the tailpiece, the stop tailpiece, through the top into the neck through, and then the bridge was like a floating, um, uh, a floating violin bridge, you know, like they have on some um, uh, on some archtop guitars, uh, and and so it, it was a really way ahead of its time design. I don't know if it's if it was a complete success. But that was definitely the direction that, that he was heading in. Um, you know, a, a little bit like the Paul Reed Smith uh, semi-hollow design that, that, that we've got now. It, it would have been great if, to um, see.
0: It reminds me of some of the stuff like Godin does, uh, a lot of uh, mixed high-end acoustic electric stuff. Um, yeah. Parker. uh mm. Parker got up to a yeah, lot the of one stock, thing so.
1: he, the one thing he didn't do, I mean, you're absolutely right, and I've had Parker's and still got a few go-dance, um, uh, but they had the advantage of the um, acoustic, uh, uh, you know, the pizza pickups, and that never seemed to interest um, uh, Attila. Uh, DiMarcio is almost always on the six-string electrics except for this 500. Uh, where he used the Bartolini's, he used Bartolini's on most of the basses, and they had the same kind of relationship with Bill Bartolini that they had with Larry DiMarzio. They just loved each other, um, uh, and uh, uh, but so you know, interesting, uh, the, the, the the story I recount of his last night is is really tragic. You know, the um, uh, he he had uh, been working at the Drums Only Factory since since. Uh, um, since odyssey closed and he was you know their 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 wood finishing guru essentially at um uh in the factory and uh, designed a lot of the innovative Aot drum stuff but he always you know was was hankering people say to return to guitar building and then on the night he died um uh you know no question he had uh, alcohol issues uh, but the night he died he went to, um uh, out with um, Joe Sally uh, they were they had been bitter enemies after the collapse of Odyssey and they were they had reached a sort of rapprochement it seems and so he we went out uh, to the pub with uh, with Joe Sally and with uh, Rob Friedman from not just another music shop and they'd hatched a plan to build and sell guitars again and uh, Attila was making the sketches um you know, at the pub of of, of a jazz guitar that uh, that was that was going to be sort of the relaunch of this, and and Sally was going to distribute it, and Friedman was going to retail it in Vancouver. Um, uh, so so you know, and then he went back to the shop and basically died uh, that night um, under uh, a falling uh, industrial sanding machine. So it was. Um, Completely, I, I, I mean, that part of the story just kind of wrenches your heart, right? Because you think, mm-hmm. what what could happen uh, if, if he'd managed to restart um, Odyssey or something like Odyssey in Vancouver? I think we'd have some, uh, you know, we might have another Paul Reed Smith, maybe not commercially, but um, artistically. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, and the, the, the innovations that seem to come from it all um, – odysseys like you say the the ideas through the 500 sounds super intriguing that's that's like you say years ahead and i just wonder where he could have
0: it's it's strange because like a lot of it is so ahead of its time mm-hmm. and at the yeah. same time the real flair of what odyssey is the, the the core of what they are is also so very just of their day, yeah, at the same time, you know, yeah,
2: exactly.
1: You're so right, you're so right. I mean, the heavy brass, the DiMarzio super distortion, oh, yeah, the, like the
0: hippie sandwich, uh, even the neck through, it's like holy, holy late 70s, everything back when
1: right. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's but the crazy thing is, when you look at the 100 and a Paul Reed Smith, and I got one hanging side by side up on the wall, um, it's it's no wonder why so many people thought that Paul Reed Smith had got his ideas from, from Attila. Mm. I mean, I don't think that's the case. I think they just were both chasing the same idea of perfection. Like they both had the very similar vision of what the ideal guitar was. Um, and Attila just got there 10 years earlier than, um, than Paul Reed Smith did.
0: Timing is uh
2: not everything, but it sure is important.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah.
2: Well, I think it's neat how yeah. some of the some of the even the big brands now are are going back to some of these old ideas, you know, of like solid brass bridges and all this, you know, type of stuff. Like yeah. even some of our other our other you know builders we've had on, you know, yeah. Tuna for example, you know, solid brass hardware. Yeah. Fantastic
0: That's new innovative guitars. Design is. is yeah. yeah.
1: Well, there's a fellow in um, uh, at the coast, uh, Sean Mara, who runs the um, Odyssey f- fan book fan fan Facebook page, and he is uh, he was one of the builders in the Odyssey factory for uh, uh, a year or two, I think, uh, toward the beginning, and stayed in touch with Attila uh, until he died. But uh, Sean is rebooting Odyssey guitars, and uh, as has Ordered, I think he said, a test run of um, of fifty to be built offshore, based on. I mean, he sent the Odyssey guitars to sort of measure up and okay. and uh, imitate. So, so it'll be very interesting to see, you know, what happens at that venture. He he said in an intriguing post that uh, they were also looking into having uh, luthier builds in Vancouver uh, of the instruments. So yeah, you know, there may be. A, There may be a renaissance uh, uh, for the guitars, but at the very least, I'm hoping that the book is going to um, uh, just kind of reestablish the collectability and the value of of these things. Because like you say, there was nothing. There was not a a magazine article. There wasn't. It it just disappeared. It was extraordinary.
2: And I have to confess, too, that uh, before, you know, the first time Al and I ever spoke about them, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd really like to get my hands on another one um, myself. It's been a dream of mine for a long time. But, well, I hope that works out for, for Sean, is his name you said? Yeah, I'm Sean. In, I'm in the yeah. Facebook group, but I didn't actually know who started it.
1: And, and <laughs> yeah, that... well, there's two Facebook groups now. One of them is public and one of them is uh, membership, And uh, uh, but he runs them both.
2: Mm. I know that is a, a, a way that some of the boutique – um, builders like uh, in the states i can't think of the name of the company i'm thinking of right now but um, there was another uh, builder i heard an interview by that does these custom builds in-house you know like a custom shop type of scenario but they have offshore manufacturing of their guitars that are coming back super high end like yeah, they're very a, well there's a built. lot of people
0: doing the overseas thing now and the the trick is apparently just you've really got to Find the right factory, yep. the right people. Um, yeah, because in China it can be very inconsistent. Um, Korea seems to be the place to be for high quality, and they're the they're the new Japanese, right? Uh, yeah, that's industry, right. I think you know, yeah, um,
1: yeah. I think Sean said that his were made in Korea at the same factory that makes the PRS SE series. Okay, so yeah. that that bodes well. They're they're yeah. very nice I think guitars.
0: Reverend might use them as. well possibly i'm I'm gonna
2: have to rack my brain here and find out
0: that would be great though um because it was it was kind of a dream of mine i was hoping somebody would do it not me because i don't have a business mind to save my life (laughs) um but i was also kind of hoping. Not, and i love eastwood guitars i'm a big fan of most of what they do um but i was kind of hoping it wouldn't be eastwood right because eastwood would do like a limited run of 50 and then that would be it (laughs) yeah Yeah. close it up forever um,
1: yeah, well, who knows what they say? Like you say that, the, the design is, um, is, uh, having a bit of a, a vogue. So, um, well, I think you know
0: now, so when Attila was, was building and alive and Odyssey was going full throttle, there was a weakness in the guitar industry that everybody was subject to. There was one style that was in vogue at a time. Hmm. Yeah, And there was only a couple of genres out there that were guitar heavy. Yeah. As we look at the industry now, I think, okay, music's in a different place and huge mega rock stars are probably a thing of the past, but as a guitar industry goes, we have hundreds of genres and hundreds of styles that are in all the time
3: mm-hmm.
0: within their yeah. kind of field. Yeah. And so it's a healthier market, I think, to come into with more focused niche styled products. Like I would say Odyssey is if I may be so bold as to say that about them,
1: because you know,
0: that hippie sandwich uh, neck through forest controls, brass, everything
1: (laughs) thing is a very
0: specific era of, of guitar building that doesn't appeal to everybody, but the people it appeals to are ravenous for it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And those appointments just sound amazing. Yeah, they got, so
0: they got a whole thing. Yeah, Dan from more guitars would hate it because he likes yes, everything he light and very acoustically <laughs> resonant, and it's the kind of the opposite approach where it's like make it solid, make it really held together. Yeah,
1: yeah, I gotta say I'm um, uh, I've I've come around in recent years to heavy guitars just in time to get too old to play them, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, m- most of my best guitar, I just picked up a '85 Kramer Beretta. Um, one of the uh, one of the old rounded headstock, Berettas. The guy was selling it for a song. It's in beautiful shape, heavy as hell, uh, but sounds outrageously good for a you know for a Floyd Rose, kind of kind of thing. And uh, most of my you know I think my favorite Gibson is a 2000 Gary Moore model. Um, and again, heavy as heck. One piece mahogany back, you know. So uh, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm am uh, I'm not averse to heavy guitars, at least not as far as the sound goes. And boy, Attila built some heavy guitars. <laughs> <laughs> the,
3: yeah,
1: I mean the the 100 series, the one that looks like the Paul Reed Smith is 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 much thinner than a Les Paul or a Paul Reed Smith.
0: Yeah, but when you it's got two one pounds and and half of brass inches on front it, to
1: back. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but boy, you know, two pounds of brass. Two pounds of brass on that guitar. <laughs>
0: too... Oh my gosh! <laughs> like
1: what, like... Yeah, you couldn't get away with that nowadays.
0: <laughs> no, well, I mean, I I just don't think most people would even dare. The the machining cost of brass alone mm-hmm. would uh, turn mm-hmm. most builders away.
1: Yeah, well, and you know they did it all in the in the same factory. Uh, uh, they they machined all their own brass. They polished it. A uh, guy named Scotty Bourgeois was uh, was in charge of a lot of that. And uh, they did. They did really nice work. Demarcio bought their brass pickup rings from them to sell under his own name. Um, I
2: wonder how. Yeah, my so Aria they knew their brass Pro ended up so dang heavy. Your <laughs> Aria Pro. I got an Aria Pro Thor <laughs> sound, and that thing is astronomically well because that
0: thing is imitating everything that era is trying to do right yeah it's that's <laughs> like they lined yeah. it with lead it yeah. doesn't look like it should be <laughs> that heavy but it's well look at look at PVt 60s right those oh, are yeah. essentially a reshaped strat with two humbuckers yep but they deliberately got the heaviest woods they could I because know. that was just the feel and style everybody wanted
1: yep. yeah 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 well, I mean, in the uh, in the Odyssey, the the brass bridge is really sort of, as you know, big and heavy and overbuilt. But that wasn't enough for Attila. He uh, he sat it on top of. I mean, he countersunk into the body a big fat chunk of brass. <laughs>
2: that's uh, that's what this that's, aria that I have has a big deep countersunk bridge. Yeah. it's not brass, mind you. I wonder if I could find one that is. Interesting. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. It's yeah, the, it's the, yeah it's Yamaha the did a very thing similar to, thing to, to try and with and the it. SG 2000. the, yeah, uh, the yeah, Yamaha yeah. SG 2000 had exactly the same brass sustain block with the bridge sitting on top of it. And both, both they and Attila stole it from from uh, Alembic who stole it from this guy uh, in um, I'm trying to remember his name Armstrong, I think it was in uh, San Francisco, who uh, who who carved them himself as Les Paul replacements.
0: Well we're all um, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants building something new, right?
1: Well that's it. I mean it's refinement, right? And that was I think that was Attila's gift is is being able to take what worked from other designs and then add his own thing to it. And that's exactly what the Cremona Violin Masters of you know of the seventeen hundreds did. You know, Stradivarius didn't invent the violin. Um, in fact, it's very hard to tell his violin from anybody else's looking at it. But he, you know, he didn't stop improving it, and that was the same with Odyssey. All through the model years, they made uh, steady and and market improvements.
2: I think that's the key thing um, in in a in a boutique, if I might say, type of uh, instrument is when you don't sit and rest on your laurels, you're always, you're always kind of innovating and pressing ahead. Even if it's the tiniest little innovations, it's still something you're, you're always trying to improve.
0: Really reminds yeah. me of uh, Dan, well, Dan from More Guitars mm-hmm. or uh, Trevor Kronbauer, all these, all these these builders we talked to who after they make one, they're on to the next one. Yep. Dion already, James from Dion Guitars. Yes. Dion, well, Layla too from yep. City, um, from Tuna Tone. Uh They're, as soon as they're on the next one, they're already trying to improve. Yep. They're the taking what they've one. learned and, and, and pressing uh, it on. And it's a very common thing to find with them that the, they almost look at their past work as just like, in Trevor's case, anyway, he's like, oh gosh, I can do so much better now. Like, yeah. it's, it's, he doesn't look down on his past work, but he's just like, the horror of remaking that exact thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <it> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, Elon Musk said something similar yesterday after his rocket blew up. You know, he says, uh, every failure is, we, we we welcome it. He says, we, we rush through our development um, to get to the failures, you know, and then, refine it and come back and refine it and come back until it's perfect. And, uh, you know, Was this that is the that, guy that... that
2: heavy lift rocket?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It, it, yeah. I didn't yeah. know.
2: I didn't know that it popped. That sucks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, ap- apparently it, uh, it, it went up to 40,000 feet just as perfectly planned. It flipped over and w- lowered itself back down onto the launch pad, sat down on the launch pad and blew up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright,
3: so yeah. billionaire
0: so problems. Some huh? there is <laughs> I just love to see the the, the uh, observer report on that one. Just like, yeah. notes, not supposed to blow up after safely <laughs> yeah, landing. landing. <laughs> okay, <Yeah.
2: laughs> we, won't make, we won't do that again.
1: Huh? <laughs> but awesome. I, I mean the, the, the trick, I suppose, when building guitars is to refine towards an ideal. And uh, uh, and 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 Attila just had a very narrow idea of what the ideal was. I think yeah. you know, and, and other guitar builders had um, had an idea. Uh, let let the market set the ideal, basically, and then refine towards that. And you have, he just wasn't interested in that.
0: You gotta have a little bit of both. I, I I would think you gotta have a thing that makes you you and and makes you unique in your own thing. But she also got to have a finger on the pulse of like, will anybody buy this?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that, that sort of um, uh, dichotomy, the two, the two heads of that, uh, of that coin, I think were well represented by Attila on the one hand and, and Joe Sally on the other. And when you, when you understand they're playing off with each other, it's, 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 it's that exact dynamic, you know, that every guitar company has to confront. But here, they're here, the two sides of it are actually personified by individuals.
0: <laughs> so, um, where can people best get a hold of you? Get a hold of your book. Uh, follow. You? Give me all that.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I, I sent you the links to the Amazon um, uh, pages, and you can also check out the um, uh, the cover uh, there. Um, so you can buy it uh, online from Amazon in canada and the states uh, and from chapters indigo online here and barnes and noble in the states um uh, and that's in hardcover paperback and ebook and then um there's a few other sites i think that are selling ebooks uh only but um if if anyone did a google search i think for um uh, or 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 sorry went to amazon and just searched for uh Odyssey, Attila. Then they would very quickly, uh, very quickly come across them. I think the selling price in Canada now is twenty four ninety nine for the paperback, and about ten bucks more for the hardcover, and eight ninety nine for the ebook. If um, if people want to read it that way,
3: there
0: you go. But get
1: the and get it's, the hardcover. It's Christmas, folks. <laughs> this is a good. This yeah. is a
0: cool gift to get your guitar geeky friends or partner.
1: Well, I hope it ends up having a broad appeal. I mean, it's about a lot more than the Odyssey guitars. I think it's about a moment in in Vancouver history, and uh, and also, um, just like you say, it's about the whole idea of building a guitar and what does it what does it mean? What are the choices that you make when you're designing something? Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's a fantastic book, and I'm looking forward to finishing the uh, the the latter half, which is all about the instruments specifically. Um, I really, really enjoyed the first half. Um, I, I thank you so much for coming on the show and
2: for, I have to confess. You know, yeah. I sat down and read the, the prologue, the beginning yeah. and, and then found the hot water tank leaking and have been in disaster I, I, recovery I, all week. I was like, dang it. Well, I, this all sounds to like...
1: me like an invitation to come back and talk once the book is completed. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Definitely. Anytime.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have to we'll have to do this again sometime. But thanks for thanks for sparing us your time and, and coming out and hanging out. Yeah, with no,
1: us. my pleasure, guys. It's great to meet you and uh, and thanks for uh, thanks for all you do for guitar geeks everywhere. Oh, thank you.
0: Well, we're, we're happy to do it. Um, and to our <laughs> listeners, thanks for hanging out with us and checking out the show each week. And we'll see you again next week.